Praise God, brothers and sisters. God is good all the time. That's really just to get your attention. <laughs> all right, we're going to go into Genesis 39. I have a lot to talk about, but only 10 minutes to talk about it. So Genesis 39 is going to be verses 1 through 12. So each and every single one of these verses has something to, to say about the narrative of what I'm going to, to explain. So let's start off. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian. Now it's very important to note those three things. He's an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, and he's an Egyptian. All right? Now brought him from the Ishmaelites, who had taken him from down there. Verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now it doesn't say his master, Potiphar. All right? Two verses in to this chapter, and Moses really wants us to know that this guy is an Egyptian. Because Israelites know more than anybody else firsthand how Egyptians treat slaves, right? They don't care about them at all. Now, the reason why I believe that Moses wants us to, to realize that this guy is an Egyptian was what he does in the next two verses. Verse 3, And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did prosper in his hand. Now, an Egyptian noticed a slave, Right? An Egyptian, like, they didn't really much care for him, but he noticed a slave. Right? Verse 4, so Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Let's stop right there. I'm going to keep doing that a lot, actually. So Joseph found favor in his sight, and Potiphar served Joseph. Right? Not, not like with grapes, the vine feeding him like that. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is, in the very next sentence, then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put under his authority. So, Potiphar realizes, sees how Joseph's acting, sees that he's a very godly man, and decides to put him in charge of everything in his house. Okay? This is very important to know. We'll come back to that later. We're going to jump around quite a bit between these 12 verses. So, verse 5. So it was from that time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had. Uh, stop right there. Moses reminds us in the very next sentence that Potiphar gave all that he had to Joseph. Okay? that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. We'll come back to that later. Very important to note. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had, Potiphar, in the house and in the field. Verse 6. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. So he reminded us a third time that Potiphar gave everything to Joseph. So he's really emphasizing the point that Potiphar gave everything to Joseph to, to be in charge of it. So, and then Joseph was handsome and formed in appearance. Now, verse 7. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and, say, and she said, lie with me. Now, this is the very first time that sin has entered into Genesis 39, right? It is the sin of lust, right? So, I'm seeing this as, now, it came to pass after these things. So, after Joseph was raised up by Potiphar, being highly ranked, that, <clears throat> excuse me, that, lost my place, excuse me. So after that this happened, Satan realizes, okay, this guy is getting pretty, pretty, pretty proud of himself, maybe. Let's try to step him down a little bit. Let's get part of his wife to make sure he sins and make sure he gets back down to, um, back down to where he belongs, which is you know, being back to a slave. Now, verse 8 comes around, but he refused and said to his master's wife, now I'm going to stop right there just to lead you into what his response is going to be. So the first couple sentences, he gives a lot of gratitude. He's very grateful for what Potiphar is giving to him. Right? He gave everything 
to Joseph under his command. All right? So look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he, Potiphar, kept back anything from me but you because you are his wife. Now this very next sentence is very interesting to me. How then, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He doesn't say sin against his master, not sin against the Egyptian, not sin against Potiphar, sin against God. So no matter how much gratitude he gives to Potiphar for giving him all that Potiphar had, he still brings it back to God. He knows that God did this. So, verse 10. So it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. He had just no intention whatsoever to deal with this, to deal with the sin. Now, this is where Satan tries to get a little bit more crafty. Like, he can't be that blunt about it, so he has to be a little bit more clever. So, verse 11. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was inside. Verse 1 says that he is an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, and there's no one protecting his house. No servants cleaning up the rooms. Nobody in there. Right? No one, no one, that's, it's crazy to me, right? So then it comes over here to verse 12, that she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me, but he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. So that was his response, right? To the, again, lust, walking away, tries to walk away. She caught him trying to flee and then, you know, he ended up running anyway. That's the, that's the only thing you can do with youthful lust. You have to run away. So basically the whole thing I see with this whole story with these 12 verses is that we go back to was it verse 5 so it was from that time that he made all overseer of all the house okay that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake not the God not God's sake but Joseph's sake and I think he was leading into this where the reason why he blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake was to keep Joseph in that position because if Potiphar realized that Joseph is just he did like he he was blessed but now he's kind of like not being a good worker anymore. He's like, okay, he's not as useful as he was. Let's put him down again. But because the Egyptian was blessed, because Potiphar was blessed, he kept Joseph at that position. And I really believe that God wanted him to do that because of verse 11, where it says that none of the men of the house was inside. Now it says three times, Moses tells us three times, that all of what Potiphar had was given to Joseph, right? So all of his responsibility, all of his land was given into Joseph's hand. So he knew who was supposed to be in the house that time. He knew it was, there was supposed to be some workers, some guards posted at the front. He knew there was supposed to be somebody there. But I believe that Potiphar's wife made it happen so that no servants were in the house, no guards were anywhere, because back then, the only way to convict somebody of a crime is to witness them doing it. That's the only way, because back then you didn't have any DNA analysis, you didn't have any fingerprint, none of that. All you had were eyewitness accounts. That's why in the top 10 commandments, it is do not bear false witness against your neighbor. And if you did bear false witness in a, in a trial and the guy was sentenced to death, you were also sentenced to death for sending a man to his death, you see? So you lied on trial and now you will die as well. So bearing false, false witness is, is huge. Now, <clears throat> I see this as God kept Joseph at that position so he can notice so that the first sign that sin was coming into his life that he would notice that there would be no guards no servants in the in the palace the house right so then he would be on guard he's like okay why is there nobody here this is really weird there's supposed to be people here I scheduled people to be here but there's nobody here right and then he sees part of his wife he's like okay all right not this again so he starts to walk away but then you know caught him by the garment and 
you know the rest of the story. Potiphar's wife bears false witness because there's no one to testify on Joseph's behalf. It's her word against his at that point. And, I mean, it's very, um, what's the word, biased in that, in that way because it's Potiphar's wife. During the trial, it's like, and there was also a garment, and he didn't really know what to believe. He didn't believe, he couldn't believe that Joseph would do this. And Joseph said, I didn't do this. But Potiphar's wife said, he did do this. And then, therefore, he gets sent to prison. Now, I don't have enough time to unpack all of the rest of the chapters. But basically, he was brought up. He was blessed by God. And he, it seemed like he was going pretty quick in life. Five steps forward in life. And then sin starts to hit him. Right? But, but because he was so faithful to God, because he kept giving glory to God, right? He, um, he was watched out by God quite a bit to the point where he kept where God kept Joseph in that position so that he could notice and to, to notice that there was a sign that sin would come into his life and the very next thing to do is to run away, right? So, I only had like a day and a half to prepare for this, so I apologize. So basically, that's pretty much the, the whole story there where Joseph, a, a truly faithful man, Potiphar notices him, blesses him, brings him up, notices, um, God keeps him there to notice um, something that Satan has in play, right? So Satan put it in play that there would be no guards, no, um, no servants in that house, so there would be no witnesses against, uh, against the wife. So then after Joseph gets sent to prison, God still watches out for him. He still watches out for him. Joseph doesn't complain, by the way. He does a little bit, but he doesn't complain to the point where he relinquishes his faith. He still stays faithful to God. God still knows what he's doing, and he still has faith in God that he will take him out of this. And we know how it ends, right? Joseph becomes second in all of Egypt, only second to Pharaoh. That's, that's insane. So the whole moral of the story is you stay faithful to God no matter how hard it might be. You stay faithful to God. He will bless you in the start, and he will like, care for you. He would nurture you and make sure that when, if sin were to come, and it will come, he gives you just enough to get by, right? He will never give you more than you can handle. So if you keep trusting in God, you will know that no matter how difficult it might be, no matter how many steps you feel like it might take back from you, like you go six steps forward and, and sin hits you, it's like four steps back, but you still believe in God, he'll fast forward you ten steps, right? Because he was only second to Potiphar. But then after what happened to him, he was in prison for a couple years, he becomes second in all of Egypt. Right? So you stay faithful and you'll be blessed. That's pretty much the little mini-sermon. So let's stand up. Let's go into prayer. So there's two types of people in this room right now. There are the people who are in need of blessing, and there are the people who are in a time of blessing. I, myself, got through a need of blessing time, and now I'm in a time of blessing. And I use this as this beautiful honor, this privilege that God has given me to sort of nurture me, to care for me, and he's providing me a lot of people in my life to Watch out for me when sin hits me, that I can confide in them, that they may help me get back up and keep on my walk in, my walk in God. But if you are the people who are going through a time of struggle, just know it will come. It came from Joseph. came a while, but it did come to Joseph. And so just really just stay faithful, keep praying, and yeah, let's go into prayer. Praise God, church. Um, it's amazing to be here. Usually I'm in the back in the coffee shop or whatever, but it's amazing to actually be in service and 
to actually be with the youth, to be with their brothers and sisters in praying. And it's like, I feel the Holy Spirit. And it's, I don't know about you guys, but it's definitely hot in the room. Um, so praise God. Um, it's a, I actually loved Alex's um, word and how he talked about trusting in God. Um, I actually want to share a quick testimony. Um, just what's been going on like last year and this year and what God like has like done in my heart um, through that. And I'll just kind of, I'll just go straight to it. Um, pretty much last year, we found out that my sister was diagnosed with cancer. And um, I'm not an emotional person. I don't know why I'm going to cry. Um, <laughs> but so we found out she was diagnosed with cancer. And when uh, we found out, it got to the point where if we didn't do chemo, then um, there would like be no chance of survival, pretty much. And hearing this news, um, we just, as a family, we just kind of like, kept it to ourselves and kind of just like really prayed and like let our like like immediate family know and so we're just praying and praying and praying and I just I started thinking I'm okay like you never think it's going to be your family that has to go through something like that you like hear stories and you or you read books and you're or you like we hear persecution things like that but we never know what's going to happen in our family and um and during this time that she was like going through cancer um, I met this guy and such a man of God um, when I was in Hawaii for three months at the internship and he ended up going to um, one of his like dreams uh, was to go to um, I think it was like somewhere in Africa and just to be with the kids and just to love them and just kind of like just to tell you what how much he loved Jesus every homeless person knew his name. He was just that intimate, and every single person, he would just talk about the love of Jesus. And on the, during this mission trip, he ended up getting um, hepatitis B and malaria at the same time, in which doctors say it's like the same tree getting struck by lightning twice. And so, like, one of my best friends, like, dies, and then my sister gets cancer. So, like, and all, like, all this stuff, like, is going through my mind. And a natural response to us is, is to question God. Like, God, why? We're serving you, we're praising you, we're loving you, and we're giving you all the glory. Why are, like, the worst things happening? Like, simultaneously, like, in a span of, like, a few months. And I started reading this book, and it's called Good Versus God, and it has nothing to do with any of this testimony. But there's this scripture that they pointed out, and, um, and it's in Psalms chapter 39, verse 14, it says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. And I started like, I'm like, that's such a random scripture. Like, it has nothing to do with a book. Such a random scripture for them to put. And I started just meditating on the scripture. I'm like, righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. They're not a part of his throne, but they're the foundation. And as I began like, to keep reading and reading and reading, like, God just started to, like, like melt my heart. And he started to speak to me. He was like, Christina, like, do you believe I'm just? Do you believe I'm right? Like, do you believe I'm a liar? Or what my word says is true. Like, do you, do you believe those things? And, and I'm, like, thinking, I'm thinking, and, like, I'm, like, I'm sorry to cry. Because I'm, like, man, like, do I? Like, do I believe that God is good? Do I believe that he works everything out for the good of those who love them and called according to his purpose. In Romans chapter 8, verse 20, it says that. Like, do I believe it personally in my life? Like, seeing all these, like, things, like, happening 
and and I just and I just like felt like the Holy Spirit is like pretty much the devil doesn't he wants us to doubt God and not just doubt the things he does about healing or his promises, but doubt his word because he exalts his above a word him above himself, and it's that's the foundation. It's a complete foundation because if the devil makes us start doubting God and if he's good and if his word is actually true, we'll we'll never believe in God. We'll stop believing in God himself, not just his promises or for somebody else and not for us or kind of, but literally will make us doubt who God is and that he's even alive, that he's even working in our lives. And the moment where I just like got that revelation, like God just completely, I just, I started, I just started weeping and I'm like, God, like, like you are good. Like despite all this stuff, he's like, Christina, was I, was I there in the beginning? I'm like, of course, God. Was I there in the midst of all that hardship? I'm like, of course, God. Did I work everything for good at those hard times? I'm like, of course. He's like, would I not do it again? even if it wasn't his fault. And cancer is no one's fault. It's sometimes it just, it happens or sickness just happens. And, but he's like, Christine, do you trust my plan? That you know exactly what's going on? And I'm like, yeah, like I do. And he just started showing me and bringing remembrance, like the most amazing things, how he always was there. Like God is always there in the beginning, in the end, in the middle, like he's always there. And fast forward, um, a week and a half ago, we go into surgery for my sister um, to to take out the tumor. And during the surgery, they found, like, other, like, lymph nodes that may, may or may not be cancerous. And so they go into the surgery. Surgery was supposed to take, like, maybe six hours. We were in the hospital for 12. And from, like, morning to night. And they ended up taking everything out. And they said the surgery went really well. So praise God. Um but just some kind of like encouragement to you guys that if God was there in the beginning, if like the heart, like if you had a hardship that you went through, and then and right now like it passed, everything passes, everything passes, the good pass and the bad passes. But God is always right there with us through every single moment of our lives, and whether or not we see breakthrough in the moment, God is always working for our good. And so I just wanted to bless you guys with that. Um, amen. I feel the presence of God here, and he, he, he is speaking to me personally. For, for several times now, um, as we pray, I see the lady, the Samaritan woman, Dropping the pot. Do you guys remember that moment? It's found in um, it's found in the Gospel of John. If we can open to the Gospel of John, and we will pray. Verse 19, chapter 4, it says, 
The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that, Mo I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things, Jesus said to her. I who speak to you am he. And at this point, his disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? So you guys know this story. And uh, as we were praying, this uh, I wasn't planning on reading this, but I, I, I keep on seeing uh, her leaving this water pot. And I just want to share that with you. And the thought is, we worship God. She came, she came to the well to get water, to get earthly water. And she was thirsty, but she never got that water. She got living water from Jesus. She, she, she felt him. She had this meeting with him. And he's talking about the true worshipers. And he told her everything about her. But all we see here is, all we see, he just said, this is not your husband. And you had many husbands, right? It seems like. He didn't tell her everything, but if you really think about it, when you're married and when you go through such crises, it, it's everything. It's your whole world. And he told her everything. And she left that water pot. And my thought is today, how are you leaving the church? What are you doing with your water pot? What are you doing with this earth, with this world, all the lustful things and all the sins that surround you? What, what are you doing? You're just coming here just to have a meeting, but then you're, you're taking your water pot, you're, you're getting water from your friends, from your, from your homies. I don't know how you guys call each other, but that's what we used to call each other. What are you doing? And I would like it that you would leave that water pot. Because Jesus, he, he is looking for true worshipers. He, he, he wants to be worshipped. And like Max was talking about chapter 5 uh, of Matthew, and the thought that came to me was, poor, blessed are the poor in spirit. 
When you see a homeless person and he's asking for, for something and he's poor, right? And he's asking and he's asking. So how are you in your spirit? Do you, you feel like you don't need any more? But Jesus says, blessed is the poor in spirit. Lord, we need you. We want to worship you. We want to praise you. We need your water. We need your presence. We need your anointing. We need your power because the devil is all around us, brothers and sisters. The devil is, he is, he is everywhere. The people we work around, he, he uses them. He's all over the place and how we need him today, how we need the living water, how we need to let go of this water pot, put it down and forget about it because we have living water and he, he lives within us. He lives around us. He is everywhere. We sense him. But are you, are, you, are you looking for him? Are you going to the place where you can find him? Or you just come here once in a while to see your friends, brothers and sisters. Tomorrow actually is my 15th uh, anniversary. I remembered all by myself. Nobody told me. Pretty cool. Uh, anyways, but uh, what, what are you doing? Like, uh, Jesus is so good. He is so good. And he is alive today and he is trying to speak to you today. He, he, he left us his word and are you poor in spirit? Are you reaching out your hands and saying, Jesus, I need you more. I need your presence. I need your power. I want, I want to feel you. I want your power to go through my body to a point where you, it starts shaking and you can't control it. And when you, when, you, when you feel the living water come through you, you do not need your water pot. You do not need anything in this world because you have him. And when he comes into you, he starts, he starts pouring out. It's hard to just sit there and not talk about Him. It's hard to just sit there and not to think about Him. It's hard to just talk about work and news and, and all this nonsense. Where is your hunger today? Where is your thirst today? We have half an hour and I just want to praise Him and give Him the glory because He deserves all of it. Давайте помолимся, друзья.